Uh, we're going to be talking today, this morning, about the subject of spiritual gifts. Just so happened that we kind of had a little bit of discussion, of, I guess you would say a warm-up, uh, in the 9 o'clock when talking about these things. And this, I, I believe that most people in this congregation are probably on the same page in regarding these things. Uh, but this came up, this actually was a request from someone uh, on Facebook. Uh, we had a, a, a poll about uh, certain topics or requests to, to make, and one of these, somebody commented to talk about spiritual uh, gifts. And so this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I, what I will stress in this lesson that when I'm talking about spiritual gifts, I'm talking, I'm talking about miracles that have been that were performed by Christians uh, through the Spirit, as we've seen done throughout the New Testament. And, of course, that name spiritual gifts, it implies a, a gift or benefit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it is uh, spiritual in nature, and it's not, and, 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 of course, it's not something that we can uh, acquire only through our natural means. So, again, that's what we're going to be uh, talking about. And, of course, there is a lot of confusion uh, regarding this. Uh, we, you know, one of the... Dealing with the Holy Spirit in general, I think, is something that can seem very complicated. You, think, you see scriptures like in Romans 8 that talks about the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. And, you know, we see those hard passages that are just like, man, I can't, I can't wrap my head around what's going on in this. But I think what we can do in regarding this subject is we can make some definite conclusions about these things and to what their purpose was. And uh, as we as we'll see later on, where, whether or not these things are still around today. And so moving on, uh, we see in First Corinthians chapter 12 in verses eight through 10, we see these lists of these various different types of gifts. And verse eight says, for the one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another, the word of knowledge uh, through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of songs. So we see all these various gifts that were given uh, through the Spirit. And, and of course, many of these gifts are obviously something that man cannot do on his own. We can't, we can't uh, prophesy on our own. We can't uh, just magically heal our own uh, uh, speaking in different tongues. We cannot do those things. And so if you look at this, uh, context uh, of this of the of, of, of chapter twelve. See, there were there were problems in regarding these uh, things. We we read later on that it seems that some people having these other or different gifts, they were distinguishing themselves above others simply by the gifts that they had. And Paul goes on. If you read the uh, continue on in chapter twelve, we see that Paul uh, goes on and says that whatever gift a person has, it is beneficial to the body. And I think. That, that is applicable to us today that we, I believe, just letting you know beforehand, I don't believe that these gifts are, are for us today. But the idea that we have our individual talents, that these things can be that whatever we have, we can use them uh, to benefit uh, the, the body of Christ. And so, again, we see that many people would have these gifts and that they would have these various gifts that were given uh, through uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, going on uh, with this, when we think about people having these gifts, we think about 
some people were having these gifts of prophesying. We see people had this uh, uh, this this gift of the word of of having this wisdom and knowledge. We see the apostles being able to reveal rev- a revelation uh, to us. So initially, what I think what we have to point out in in First Peter chapter four and verse eleven, it says, "If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers." Let him do as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion and forever and ever. Amen. And it goes on, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul begins by saying, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that he's talking about the that there was some somebody at Corinth claiming that they were being led by the Spirit, that they had this gift of the Spirit, and they were saying blasphemous things. And so when we think about those things, if somebody today has those gifts and they were saying, Oh, well, I have this gift of revelation, and they're teaching a contradictory message than what the apostles had preached, or they're teaching something different than what the apostles preached, well, we should ignore them. We see in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, that if anyone teaches any other gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. So, uh, again, uh, even if these gifts are still available today, we have to understand that even, even if these people had these gifts and they were teaching a contradictory message to what the word that has already been revealed to us is written, we should still not even pay heed to them. The primary thing that we should be paying teaching, paying attention is to word that has been delivered. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him speak as the mouthpiece of God. Even if he, if, even if he comes and uh, does a miracle, he should still be teaching the same word that the apostles have given us. And so, looking at this, looking at the modern aspect of this, I have some quotes that people today who believe that these gifts are for us today, why they think these things are necessary. Uh, One quote, I just looked on the uh, website of the Apostolic Assembly of Jesus Christ Church. This is located in Stratford, Mississippi. It says, We believe in baptism and water by immersion in the name of the Lord for remission of sins and in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. And so they believe in a baptism of water for their remission of sins. And then they also believe in a other baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so this... It seems that they say when somebody is baptized by the Holy Ghost, they're going to speak in other tongues. Now, again, we have to understand that uh, we see a diverse, diverse gifts given in First Corinthians chapter twelve. So, again, if somebody receives this baptism, they're not, you know, they may have other gifts, not necessarily speaking in other tongues. And of course, one thing that always comes to my mind when I, I talk, I, I was, I was studying with a fellow about. He believes that every time we talk about baptism being necessary for salvation, that that baptism is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the problem that we have with that, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, there's one Lord, one one faith, and one baptism. And so what these people will have is actually two baptisms. One baptism in water, and then we have another baptism, that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, for example, we see many people say that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the one that forgives your sins, and still... You still have two baptisms, but we only have one baptism that is that is necessary 
uh, for all Christians. And we have to understand which one of those things are. So again, I believe this is a contradictory message here is that we're speaking of two uh, baptisms. And Dr. Mary Healy, International Catholic Charismatic Renewal, says that charisms, now this charism is gifts. This is what this means. So the gifts of the Spirit, they build up the body of Christ, they aid evangelism, they give glory to God and are manifestations of the Spirit. They're not something, and notice what she says, says they're not something that you own or control. You're like a musical instrument on which the Holy Spirit plays according to His will and time. So if you have this gift, if the Holy Spirit is, in, is, in, is inside of you and you have this gift, well, you don't dictate when that gift is going to be given or be displayed or when you be quiet, that the Holy Spirit is controlling you when you do those things. Also, the Christian and Ministry Alliance says that spiritual gifts were given to build up the church, the body of Christ, as long as the church is under construction, a spiritual gifts are needed. And so what we see in those last, those last two is that they believe that these, spirit, these uh, spiritual gifts are necessary for edification. They're necessary for evangelism. They're necessary to building up the body of Christ. And so those are all, those are all uh, good things. But again, we have to, we have to understand uh, what, uh, what the purpose of those things are. And uh, are they even needed today? Even though we have good reasons that these people give, are they still necessary for today? And so are all of these things true? And we have to look at the Bible to see, are these things that these people say and believe, are they necessarily true? Now, I want to start out is that the time of spiritual gifts, the time of the Spirit pouring out on people, they have, it has been foretold in the Scriptures. We see in, uh, we see in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 what is referenced here in Acts chapter 2 and verses 16 through 18. There's going to be a time that says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your, your young men shall see visions, your, your old men shall dream dreams, and all my men servants and all my maid servants shall pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And so Peter is referencing this after the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they, they are speaking of various languages, they're speaking various tongues to all these people that had gathered in Jerusalem on Pentecost, and these people are saying, you know, well, these men are drunk. And he goes on, Peter goes and says, no, this was specifically prophesied and it was spoken uh, by Joel. That there was going to be a time when they were going to acquire uh, these, these powers. And so uh, going on, uh, we see that being foretold. We see that the Holy Spirit was going to uh, come upon uh, people. And so how do, we, how do these things look like in practice? How does one go and acquire uh, that that ability. How does the Holy Spirit fall on these people? And I think what we have to understand is, uh, you know, again, we have to understand how people receive these gifts in order to properly understand their place. In Matthew chapter three and verse eleven, uh, we see we see John saying that there was going to become someone after him that he was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <clears throat> so notice that this that this person who, who was going to be Christ, he was going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Also, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, uh, before, uh, after Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, uh, before he ascends to the Father, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which we read. I think we read, obviously, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. We see uh, in John a referencing to the Comforter. And again, we see uh, that this promise of my Father is going to come upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he says, I'm going to send this promise to you, and then you wait in Jerusalem until you are endued uh, with this power. And so, uh, moving on, we see in Acts chapter 1, in verses 4 through 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So again, uh, we see this reemphasized, uh, again, of, of Jesus talking to the apostles. says, Look, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. From now, and of course, we see that come again in Acts chapter two, verses two through four. It says, "And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house they were sitting in. Then they appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave utterance." So again, we see that this this time had been foretold, and we see that. Christ, again, we go back to Matthew chapter 3, that Christ was going to be the one that was baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And we see here in Acts chapter 1, and then we see that being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, that this is, this is them being baptized with the Holy Spirit at this time. And again, they received this gift directly from Christ. They received this gift directly from the Spirit. And so we see that also, we see the same type of incident with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And so we see them uh, being filled with that. And in Acts chapter 11, Peter recounting this, he says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And so Peter recounting that, he's saying, look, these people, when I started speaking to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They, they, started, speaking, they started speaking in tongues and says, as upon us at the beginning. And so Peter, using this language, he indicates that this, that specific, that specific uh, uh, incident does not happen regularly. He says this, the only other time that this happened was with uh, themselves in Acts chapter 2. And of course, you read that context of Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, that even Peter being apostle, he had some, he still did not completely understand that the Gentile was going to be grafted in. And so the Spirit had to fall on Cornelius so that Peter and the other Jews would understand this. And so this, this leads to an interesting question, but because we see these things happening with the apostles in Acts chapter 2, with Cornelius here, but we also read of all of these other Christians in the New Testament receiving and exercising spiritual gifts. We have an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, deals extensively with Christians having these spiritual gifts. So what about all of these others in the New Testament that have these things? How did they go about receiving uh, this spirit? And I think uh, one of the most pointed uh point in scriptures that deals with this subject is in Acts chapter 8 when we, when we see a Philip uh, or going through Samaria, the Samaria receiving the word of God in verse Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. And so what is interesting to note here 
is that Philip goes there, he goes preaches, he does perform miracles there. And in Acts chapter 6, he is one of the seven that was appointed to serve tables. We see him being described as being full of the Spirit here. So we had Philip going there, performing miracles. But when that Samaria receives God, they sent Peter and John to them, who were apostles. He says, who, when they had come down, pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So we have... A situation here in which Christians, these were Christians, they believed they were baptized, but it says they had not received the Spirit. And what he's talking about is that they had not received any power to perform uh, these perform these gifts. So what had to happen? Well, Peter and John, the apostles, had to come down there, which is an interesting point because Philip obviously could not do these things. He could not, for some he could not lay his hands on them and to receive the Holy Spirit. He could not transfer that gift. Only the apostles could do that. And so what these scriptures indicate is that someone can be a Christian and not have, quote, received the Holy Spirit in the sense that they had the power to perform these gifts. And so what we don't see is we never have any indication that anybody else but the apostles could give uh, this power could give by laying on hands, give this power to give them uh, these ability to perform miracles. So we see the apostles were given this the spirit directly. Well, we see these other Christians being given this power by by the apostles by by the laying on of hands, so that they can so that they could have those gifts. And so it's up to those that believe otherwise that Christians can receive the spirit can receive the Spirit just like the apostles did. Where is the book, chapter, verse that says, hey, every Christian can receive the, the, the Holy Spirit just like the apostles did. And so I'm not I'm not an apostle. I don't know any apostles that are still alive. Maybe there is. I, don't, I very highly doubt it. And I'm not an apostle. I'm not Cornelius. So again, how do we receive this power? And the Scripture is lacking to give us any information on how do we today receive those gifts and so another point is i want to make is we have to understand the purpose of these gifts at at the time uh, that they were that they were uh, being uh, exercised in mark chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 we have this situation which uh, jesus uh, tells his paralytic that he will send that his sins were forgiven of course people around question him and says who can forgive sins but god alone you know correct and so in Mark chapter 2 and verse 9, Jesus is saying, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Now, this is, I believe this is important because that healing was was for confirming that Jesus could forgive these sins on earth. That he he had that power, but these people questioning him, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to, you, said to the paralytic, I said to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. So that you may know I have this power, I'm going to heal this person, and you're going to, you're going to see this person arise and walk. And so it was this purpose of this healing was for confirming uh, that word that he could actually forgive those sins. Also in Hebrews chapter 2, 
verses 2 through 4. It says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So in verse 2, he says, The word spoken through angels proved steadfast, every transgression rewarded. And it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which, notice he said, at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. So this salvation, how how we know how 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 we can be saved those things are spoken we're going to have to hear and believe the word the, the word that was spoken and written down so that we could have salvation and it says it was confirmed to us by those who heard him god also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the holy spirit so here we have that the word the word spoken was going to give us salvation but he says God bore witness to those words with these signs and wonders. And so again, the signs and wonders was God bearing witness to that word. It's not it was not something that was that was that, that was just there, but there was a specific purpose for these things. That the, the power for our, our sins to be forgiven was through believing and obeying the word that was given to us. But those words had to be confirmed. Because how do we, you know, how would I know or how would we know that this, that these people who are speaking these words even knew what they were talking about? Maybe they were just saying, you know, maybe they were just crazy people. Well, we see that these words were confirmed by God through uh, these, these, uh, these wonders and these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, uh, going on, and so, you know, going on with this, we see that this is important for those who believe that they are prophets to, to they are prophets today they claim they are speaking the things of god they say that they have they have they receive these these revelations from god and so this is important to understand can they confirm their word can they actually uh, through these miracles or whatever can they do these things and another point that we have to understand is do their words the things that they say line up with the apostles' words. And I think that's very important because we have many people that say uh, that they teach a different way to be saved. They teach why well, you can ask Jesus into your heart to do all those things, but yet believe that they have these gifts and that they believe that they are receiving uh, these words from God. And so, you know, another thing, kind of like what we pointed out earlier, we have many people that uh, of people calling themselves prophetesses, that they are that there are women uh, uh, teaching and preaching in the church, probably sometimes leading uh, those churches. But Paul says in First Corinthians chapter fourteen, he says, "Let a woman learn in silence. Let a, let a let a woman that a woman should be silent. That she should not be in a place in a congregation of actually teaching uh, the other Christians there." And so, they're plainly by doing that, they're plainly contradicting uh, the the words of the apostles. And so, again, there's so many problems that we see with people claiming these gifts today. Also, we have to understand their purpose in the church as well. What, what was the purpose of them being expressed at the assembly? And so these gifts should be 
for edification. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12, Paul saying, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. He says, you, you want these spiritual gifts, but focus on, ed- on the edification of the church. That should be your primary concern here. And in verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done for edification. And so here he says, you have these gifts, you want to do them, but wait a minute. Let all those things be done for edification. Don't be puffing yourself up. Don't be going around uh, just doing these things because you just want to have attention. He says, make sure that what, what you're doing, is, that this is edifying for the church there. And so in verse 28, it says, well, what if somebody has this gift of, of speaking in tongues, but there's no interpreter? Well, he says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. And so if this is not going to be edifying for the assembly, what should be done? Well, he should keep silent. And so this is another, this is another point to be made at the very beginning of the lesson. Uh, the lady said that basically you were, you, the Holy Spirit was controlling you when you had those gifts that you were basically, if the, if the Holy Spirit wanted you to perform some gift, you had to do it. You could not uh, control those gifts. But notice in verse 28 that you can you can't control those things. You don't have to sit there and burst out in the middle, middle of the assembly and speak in tongues. You can keep silent, even if there is no interpreter. So again, I think what we see in First Corinthians chapter 14 is that these gifts could be controlled contrary to what was quoted at the beginning of the lesson. And so also in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, I focus on uh, what the purpose was for, for all of these uh, offices. He says, and, and he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teacher, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now notice that this is still, they, th- these things still are going on in a sense. But notice that the apostles, the prophets, Again, included with the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, what was their purpose? It was for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. So again, we see this focus, even even if it was even with these gifts, the focus is on edification. It's for building up uh, the body of Christ. And so uh, you know this. You know, even when we talk about this in the context of the uh, first century, this this obviously makes sense as well because they needed they needed those miracles or that miraculous revelation in order for them to grow to maturity. And of course, we still we still need that word today to mature. But but what we have in Jude verse three is we have the, we have the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So now we have that entire faith. We have that full. Revelation. So now that we have those things, what happens now? Well, we still, we still, again, we should be edif- we should continue to edify one another by this word. But notice that when we receive, notice what happens when we receive this full revelation. Paul had written of a time in which these miracles would cease. In First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse eight through ten, he says, "Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail." 
whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now notice what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, this, these, uh, this miraculous, uh, or this miraculous knowledge, or this, uh, these being able to prophesy. And he says those things that are in part. He says those things are going to be done away with. Now. I think we do realize that what he's not saying says any type of knowledge is going to be done away with. I believe we all understand that, but he's talking about this idea in reference to uh, these spiritual gifts, this gift, gifts of wisdom and revelation. And so we have that, but what happens when all of those things, so, so what happens when all of those things, we have all that we need? All those, the, all those specific, all those specific uh, commandments and, and, and the word that we what, that we have. What is those things going? To, what happens with that? And so, when the knowledge in part, the knowledge in part has to do with the word given by that revelation. So that which that which is perfect, I believe that that which is perfect has to do with the completed word. That we have this knowledge in part, but now when we have that that completed word, we have all that knowledge that we need, and we no longer need. Uh, that those those gifts of revelation or the gifts of prophecy, and so when that perfect that that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. <coughs> and so uh, that's the end of my PowerPoint. But I think what we can see is that the spiritual gifts there were beneficial for multiple reasons. Uh, but I do believe in, that they are not available, nor are they necessary for today. And it's up to those that believe otherwise to point us to Scripture to uh, uh, to help us in our understanding. Uh, we have, but but we have a very important gift from the Spirit. I would say I was thinking about this lesson that we talk about spiritual gifts. I say we we do have a lot of gifts from the Spirit, and one of the most important ones is the Word that we have uh, that was given to us. Uh, by the Spirit uh, through the apostles and through uh, uh, those in the Old Testament. And that equips us, the Word equips us for every good work. That's what it said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It equips us for every single good work. So if it equips us for every good work, then we do not need anything else. We do not need uh, these gifts to aid in edification or aid in evangelism because the word is going to uh, give people knowledge of their state needing the remission of sins and how to have those remission of sins and so again if people believe that these gifts are still available today they have to they have to prove that a that the apostles are still alive today or we receive them in some different way than what has been given in the scriptures or they, you know, they find us something in the scriptures to show us that we can or we should have those gifts today. So that's the end of my lesson. You know, this has not been necessary. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about, you know, how to be saved or, or things of that matter. But notice that he said in Hebrews chapter chapter two that the word is going to that that word spoken it, it's going to be able to give us salvation that we have in the we have in the word how we can be saved from our sins, how to become a Christian. Those things are laid out pretty clearly. We see that one has to believe the word, hear the word. They have to believe the word. They have to repent of their sins, confess Christ the Lord, and be baptized in water for the remission of sins. That's the baptism that we see that should that all people should be looking for to have their <laughs> sins forgiven. 
And so, uh, again, we ask you if you want to become a Christian uh, or if you need or for whatever reason, if you need the prayers of the saints, you need to confess something or for whatever reason, we ask you to come now as we stand and as we sing.